we've had some histories, right? And also, you know, the way those histories are kind of perceived and written about isn't really nice. And so being able to be sovereign from those institutions and systems, uh, I won't, you know, point to, to any institutions, but I think we kind of know which ones are, are, are not, um, let's say, value adding, right? We've seen them operate for 50 years and nothing is better because of them, right? So it's time to look at some alternative uh, solutions and, and Bitcoin happens to be, you know, uh, the one we're looking at today. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guest today is Cal Casa. Cal is the founder of Bitcoin Burr and the Hoseki app. His goal is to bring Bitcoin to the people of Ethiopia because he sees it as a force for good in an environment where people cannot protect their wealth in financial instruments as inflation rises above 30%. Nor are most Ethiopians able to relocate with their wealth if the need would arise to flee the country. Cal is working on changing this with his initiatives, and I have no doubt he will be successful. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this episode with Cal Casa. Cal Casa, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, Mark. I'm, I'm excited to be on your podcast and I look forward to our conversation. Wonderful. So let's get right into it. Walk us through the experience that started on June 29th, 2020 and ended with you in a backpack flying back to the U.S. and ultimately how that influenced your thoughts on Bitcoin. Yeah, so June 30th, 2020, it's kind of become a you know historic day for, for Ethiopians now, but um, on that day, there was an assassination. Um, his name is uh, Hachal Undesa. He's a uh, kind of a musician, activist. Um, he's very popular within the Ethiopian community. And for, you know, whatever reason, he was assassinated. Um, and that night, um, we lost power uh, pretty much early in the morning. Um, a lot of us lost internet connection um, in the cities and our kind of urban centers. And um, there were, for the next three or four days, you know, riots, protests in the streets. There was, um, you know, a lot of, I guess, pain within his community. Um, so they kind of went out into the center streets. Um, some of it turned very, uh, you know, like like any protest, damaging property and X, Y, and Z. And um, and I live in a very central area, so and without internet, there's not much I can do in terms of work. So uh, so I left, and um, and yeah, things kind of, you know, as things evolved within the Ethiopian, I guess, geopolitical situation, and you know, we had. A lot of issues, especially last year. I think kind of the worst is over now. But um, but yeah, during that time, it just one didn't make sense for me to be in Ethiopia at that point. Um, you know, nothing was really open. There there wasn't much activity. And two, uh, the case for Bitcoin got really strong, coupled with COVID, right? And co- coupled with um, all of the things we've kind of been seeing in terms of kind of the the international politics of it all. Um, and on top of that, just the money printing uh, uh, that that we see, it, and me physically living leaving Ethiopia, and you know seeing how impossible it was to change my bird into dollar, um, and and if I had dollar, I, I wasn't able to take that through the border. Um, international transactions are 
very much monitored, right? So there, there's only so much that you can move, especially when you're in a, a country like Ethiopia with closed capital markets. So I was not able to take anything out of Ethiopia. I, I left with a backpack, you know? Um, thankfully, I don't have too much wealth. There, there wasn't much that um, I had, but watching that depreciate is never a fun experience. And uh, and that was money that, you know, I could have put towards better uh, things, right? And um, and so, yeah, I think by, by 2020, that event um, led me to become, I think, what I am today, which is, you know, a Bitcoin advocate and, uh, and a Bitcoiner. So you were standing there in the airport with your backpack and the thought occurred to you, how would fellow Ethiopians be able to do this with their wealth? You had the opportunity to obviously travel back to the United States because you have a United States passport, but your fellow countrymen... Most of them do not. So was that the light bulb moment for you that allowed you to see uh, one of the benefits of Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so I think that was like the catalyst, right? But then I kind of had to do my own research and I had to dive into to the books and to the podcasts and, you know, just like everybody else's kind of learning experience, um, you know, fail and, you know, go through even some misinformations before I got to, okay, this is how a protocol works. This is why it's open source. Um, and then, you know, how do I, yeah, I know you've been kind of uh, tweeting about this aggressively, but like, how do I then add value to it? Right. Because it's obviously going to do what it's going to do, but if there's any way that I can help inch it along forward, like might as well, you know, do it because that'll probably be a better use of my time than, you know, what I was doing before, which was working for advisory firms and accounting firms and, you know, um, places where maybe that value wasn't, you know, felt as much, right. There's always going to be another, um, you know, uh, marketeer or, or developer or, uh, or what have you. Right. But, um, so yeah, I, over the course of the past two years, um, it's, it's just become that where I was like, all right, well, I see the value in it. So why don't I support the, the addition to that value? Right. And, uh, and so we'll see, we'll see how, how it plays out. You've been focused on Bitcoin in Ethiopia ever since, trying to help other Ethiopians benefit from the same security that Bitcoin uh, has provided you. So please tell us about Bitcoin Beater and your other initiatives. Absolutely. So that just came about because of my competitive advantage. I speak Amharic, right? So I speak the local language. I lived here for the past eight years. So, you know, what's the best use of my time? Um, well, uh, it might be in, in kind of those legacy banking systems because I do have some experience with that. But uh, I think within a country like Ethiopia, there's there's so much that can be done. Um, and with Bitcoin, but that's purely a kind of an open source education initiative. Um, we're translating books, we're giving presentations, we're giving kind of open source content for people to learn from and for them to teach. I think it, it goes both ways. There's a lot for you know people like me to learn about in Ethiopia. They have their own markets, they have their own kind of price models and, and value methods and capital, right? So some of their investments and assets look, you know, wildly different, but they've made it work. Um, so it, it's kind of a, it's education, but without the, uh, the prestige of the education, right? I mean, there's, there's no certification at the end. There's, you know, very little like model in terms of how we do it. Um, you know, the, the best structure I, I've organized for it is a 16 page um, presentation. Um, it's more picture heavy than, than words. Uh, just because we're dealing with so many languages. Um, so, you know, getting to the point of what is a node 
and what is mining and, you know, having and, and all of this is, is more important than kind of everything else that comes with it. So very bare bones um, kind of approach to, to teaching. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a good, good ride. I'd like to talk about the economy of Ethiopia. And what I see is two distinct economies, those who have access to assets, those who have access to the U.S. dollar, and those who do not. Can you describe for us that economy, that microeconomy of those who do not have access to banking and the U.S. dollar, what they store their wealth in and so forth? Absolutely. So you might argue that you know, 75% of Ethiopia doesn't have access to uh, internet connectivity. Um, they're usually in the rural areas of, of the country. And usually that coincides with a certain amount of, you know, let's say poverty or neglect or, you know, definitely when there are fighting uh, happening for resources and such. Um, these are the populations that get kind of the brunt of, of, of those, um, you know, uh, dis- disputes, right? Uh, so one, it's very hard to find them, communicate with them, transact directly with them. Um, and, and they have, you know, more or less no access to dollars. Um, they have Ethiopian bank accounts, closed markets. So um, your only unit of account is, is the Ethiopian bird. Um, unless you have an export license or import license or kind of uh, different passports like myself um, or, you know, a huge investment license uh, that allows for dollars uh, in, you know, in the range of $200,000, $400,000, um, then you're not going to get the advantages that, you know, that I have, right? So um, I have, a, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, uh, careful to to say this, but I have uh, advantages um, to to you know your your ecosystem, right? And my advantage is I'm an American citizen. Like really, that's my only advantage over you know the farmer um, in, in the city next door. So and that's a terrible circumstance, right? When a piece of paper and and not ability or competitive advantage um, separates the winners from the losers. So that's the economy that we have. And that's also the economy that a lot of other countries in the world have. So, um, you know, the disparities might be more um, uh, or the, the standards might be lower. But I think, you know, we've seen this in, in many countries too. You've described livestock as, quote, better alternatives to the local currency. Is that simply due to the inflationary nature of the, the beer or other reasons as well? So I use livestock within kind of the education because it's very tangible. Um, you know, it gives dividends in terms of milk and X, Y, and Z. So it's, it's very easy to describe. Um, and a farmer might think, oh, sure, I have, you know, a plot of land. And that's something that, you know, can utilize the, the grass and X, Y, and Z. But I think the lesson is that any asset, um, aside from the Ethiopian burr or the United States dollar, is, is a better investment. So, um, you know, as long as it, it doesn't expire, right? I mean, you know, you don't want to buy uh, a warehouse full of milk and then it expires in two months, right? So, uh, but, you know, land, uh, machinery, uh, uh, any kind of uh, companies, tangible or not, um, any shares of banks and X, Y, and Z, like, yeah, I think the Ethiopian economy understands that its capital is losing value at a high rate. So they are incentivized to invest in anything but the Ethiopian bird. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, cattle or livestock is just kind of one thing, just because we have such a, a large amount of cattle and livestock and, and all of this. Um, but, but really, uh, any asset um, or any uh, capital uh, aside from the Ethiopian burr is probably a better bet 
Um, and, you know, and I always make the case that even people are a better bet than, than the Ethiopian bird. Um, I rather, you know, uh, hire, I don't know, an intern or like an insist, assistant, right? Or, or someone that um, is kind of growing their, their capacities and kind of their, their skilled labor, you know, lawyers, accountants, things like that. And spending your Ethiopian bird on them is a better use of your time and energy. Uh, just because, you know, in five, 10 years, they'll get experience, they'll get better at what they'll do, and they'll be able to command better rates in X, Y, and Z, right? So um, I wouldn't say cattle is, is is the best investment, but, you know, alternatively, it's better than than burr. And you've talked about uh, the degree of inflation that uh, the burrs has been experiencing over the past few years, and in turn, the price of livestock going up for a lot of these farmers. How is that in turn manifested for these communities? Absolutely. So it's it's um it's a very difficult thing because the number has gotten larger, uh, and you know, at the lower ends of kind of the socioeconomic class, um, you'll have people that eat less meat, right? And you know, meat is a very healthy, um, I, I believe, uh, kind of nutrient, right? And 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 food group. And what happens when you start neglecting meat, right? And it's kind of raw, you know, organic senses, you might move on to other uh, calorie sources or other food sources, right? And those food sources might be uh, produced, manufactured, imported. They might be on the shelf for months at a time. They might be full of, you know, the sodiums and, and, all, and all of this, right? The seed oils. And so, you know, fortunately for me, you know, uh, uh, I have access to, to, to dollars in Bitcoin. So I move on par with that inflation and I can still afford to, to kind of eat, you know, the, the most kind of healthy uh, things available. But for a majority of the population, that's not the case. And you, you, you hope, uh, you know, alternative ways of, of feeding people exist. But really, there's not. You, you have, you know, good sources of, of, of meat, good sources of, of you know, um, vegetables and fruits and, you know, a dairy if, if you're in, you know, different communities. And, um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how our kind of dietary makeup evolves and what changes. And, and you just hope that it's, it's kind of the more natural uh, options available. You're forced to the cheaper, uh, less nutritious, and quite frankly, uh, bad food. And in turn, you're no longer able to afford health. And you're susceptible then in turn to the disease. I see that every day. And so that situation is, is very, very real uh, for the Ethiopian citizens. And yeah. So um, you've in fact described the dollar usage as illegal in Ethiopia. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. And your, and your brother was in fact arrested for having $20 in his pocket. Yeah. For the crime of using a better currency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get, you know, um, allowances and licenses and uh, permissions um, to use dollar, but that's not, you know, the average person, right? Um, and and uh, so, so yes, for the average person, um, just kind of existing day to day without any kind of large um, access to, to investors or like I said, a passport, right? Social security number. Um, it's not, you know, allowed to hold uh, dollars in Ethiopia. One of the comparisons that I've seen emerge with your story uh, is the similarity between financial aid that has been sent to Africa and some of the purported purposes of other crypto projects. 
So more than a trillion dollars has been sent to Africa in the last 50 years. Between 1970 and 1998, though, when that aid was flowing in at its peak, poverty in Africa rose from 11% to 66%. And roughly 600 million American, uh, Africans excuse me, were in poverty. And so we can debate whether there's malicious intent in, in all of that, but clearly there's this parasitic element of it in that trillion dollars clearly did not go to the people. It went to the government coffers. You have that experience. And then a few years ago, somebody comes in to tell you that we've got this new project that the Ethiopian people will benefit from. Immediately, your alarm bells go off. Can you tell us about your experience with Cardano and its trying to intervene within Ethiopia and how that moved you more towards a Bitcoin only uh, moral case? Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, one, it was, um, you know, for me, I had been following Cardano since 2018 when they entered. And, you know, at the time it was a, kind of a learning opportunity. Um, but, you know, after about two years, um, there were, you know, glaring errors, right? One, they had kind of been allotted into Ethiopia without a without procurement, tender, bidding, all of the kind of the public uh, uh, documents that you would expect from such a large project, right? So that was automatically a little concerning, right? And then the second one was, you know, there was no detail as to what the deliverable was. Um, there was no kind of strong agreement uh, in terms of pricing or what the service uh, would be. Um, and so that all, you know, gets a little concerning as well. And then, you know, over the you know next few months and years, I saw all of this PR um, and and marketing grow in America, right? As it relates to what they're doing in Ethiopia, right? As if they're doing a great deal, right? When in reality, they have about three or four staff. They have you know a small office. They're you know not really even you know collecting the data they say they're collecting, right? They they're going into digital IDs and things like this. Um, and then I think third, I think the most concerning and. This is why I kind of wrote the article, Shitcoin Millionaire. I dedicated some of my time and energy towards this. Is, um, you know, I, I really feel as though if a country does embark on digital IDs, um, those uh, technologies should be built on open source technology. And the passwords um, should be saved at the, you know, state people level, right? Um, and, and not the, you know, Cardano level in Australia or United States or Swiss or, you know, wherever they're registered. Um, I, I think it adds more complexity and more uh, failure points, right? Um, when you have passwords stored uh, abroad, right? Um, if Ethiopia is a sovereign nation, then it should take custody of its own passwords, right? And so that was kind of my, my angle there. I think the Ethiopian ag uh, government agrees. Um, past few, you know, months, they've made good uh, progress with um, national uh, ID. Uh, it's kind of a government program. Um, and so they've started kind of doing census and ID building and all of this. Um, and I think that's a better way to go. And so again, you've been focusing on, on Bitcoin ever since. And I'm wondering what your priorities now are for bringing Bitcoin to Ethiopians. What are the barriers that you're seeing? Is it more than just ed education? Is there infrastructure such as the internet or hardware wallets that you're of concern as well? Absolutely. And I think those are going to be kind of the uh, the secondary and kind of third layer um, applications that kind of get built and kind of, you know, supporting that ecosystem as a whole. Um, I'm interested now in showing the Ethiopian government how to take custody 
and I want to see a custody of Bitcoin, right? And and how, and I want to see that education trickled out into you know all of the other facets of education. Um, it's probably the most important tool that we'll have um, uh, the ability to send and receive Bitcoin, right? That's 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 the education, right? In, in large part, right? We we discuss the gold standard and all of this, but you know the heart of it is you need to take custody, you need to be sovereign, um, and and we'll go from there. Um, the infrastructure challenges um, there are kind of private sector companies working towards that. I think as the government liberalizes more sectors and privatizes more um, uh, companies, I think uh, that'll be a good thing, more competition. Um, the banking sector, uh, I, I think they will have no choice but to be innovative and to look towards things like digital currencies and Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and I think if we do those things efficiently, we can then go into mining, right, and some kind of value addition projects just because we have cheap energy uh, uh and then you know we'll go from there so we'll, we'll see you know lofty uh, ideals and objectives but we'll see if we can get there well sure before we started recording you were talking about the fact that you're in ethiopia now and you've had a lot of meetings uh, with local officials so if to the extent that you can please describe some of these interactions and, and how they've been sure so i'm, I'm not going to dox anyone but just to see that the level of uh, diversity. So I've had 160 meetings since I've got here. Um, I've spoken to groups, you know, in the hundreds um, at different presentations, lectures, X, Y, and Z. And, um, and one, the amount of the questions, right, have been amazing, right? I, I received questions um, about value. Like, when, when, you know, uh, uh, I had an artist come up to me and say, you know, how do we add value? And it was just like the most, you know, intense question I'd ever gotten, right? His, his name is... Uh, uh, chef Johannes, he's actually a chef, and you know he, he 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 kind of works in that space, and he wants to work in technology. And um, and then I received another question about you know uh, why is it important to back Bitcoin with energy, right? And these are the kind of questions that I took for granted, but you know working through the answer, um, you know, she works more for kind of a non for profit, uh, Bursabeth, and she's her question. I mean, ca- kind of got me into my own answers of you know well. Um, and, you know, when you look at gold and when you look at oil um, as a store of value, they do store value because we assign a price to them, right? Uh, but also they hold within them a great deal of energy, like that's been built over time, right? Just as a resource, right? As a rock, as, a, as you know, um, an item. And so, you know, being able to compare that with the financial world um, and have the private sector be there, government stakeholders be there. Um, I think has has been an amazing thing, and I think uh, you know in terms of adoption, I think we can say Ethiopia has you know uh, at least at a de facto level, at a people level. And I think the government stuff is going to take a little bit of time, um, but but the, the on the people level, there's a great deal of understanding. Is there a characteristic of Bitcoin that seems to resonate the most within Ethiopia? Anti-inflationary and sovereign. Uh, you know, one, because we have inflation rates at 30 to 35 percent. I think now food inflation is 40 percent. Right. So uh, the perspective makes sense. And then also, you know, Ethiopia is one of those countries where every now and then for, you know, reasons unknown to, to anyone, it seems it becomes, a, you know, a place of, um, you know, tension. Right. Uh, the international media sometimes uh, looks at it poorly, right? Um, not in terms of how we'd like to be looked at as a place for investment and tourism and 
growth and, you know, um, harmony and, and, and salam, but, you know, we've had some histories, right? And also, you know, the way those histories are kind of perceived and written about isn't really nice. And so being able to be sovereign from those institutions and systems, uh, I won't, you know, point to, to any institutions, but I think we kind of know which ones are, are, are not, um, let's say, value adding, right? We've seen them operate for 50 years and nothing is better because of them, right? So it's time to look at some alternative uh, solutions and, and Bitcoin happens to be, you know, uh, the one we're looking at today. And I think that's, that's a good thing. So I have to ask, is there any discussion about uh, hooking up mining with the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam? Uh, I'm sure there are. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not privy to every conversation, um, but it seems like you know, two or three people here um, are really aggressive in that um, and have kind of proven some models and understand that the numbers will make sense um, and have a you know, history of mining in the United States. So I think any day now we'll, we'll probably hear about a project or some sort of initiative to, to kind of get that going. How close are you to your goal of 10,000 lightning wallets? You know, pretty close. Um, I think also like depending on how we measure, because I know now Cash App is interoperable with Lightning. Um, so when I look at all of my contacts that uh, use Cash App, right, and use the kind of Bitcoin legacy system um, and and seeing, you know, uh, them, they, they will automatically be Lightning users, right? Whether they download a Moon Wallet or a Blue Wallet, uh, they'll still be on that second layer, right? It'll be interoperable. So once you include those numbers, um, then it's well past 10,000. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, uh, and, and you hope that everyone that I reach and touch and talk to shares this information with at least two or three others. So I'm always, you know, kind of incentivizing that people, you know, keep sharing within their own languages, their own dialect. Um, and, and I think, you know, it'll have great kind of exponential growth. So you've said that Bitcoin, quote, works from any perspective. It just works. And I think what you meant was regardless of what uh, political ideology you come from, there's something about Bitcoin that benefits you. Why do you believe that? And do you think there's also a new paradigm by which we view the world under a Bitcoin standard? Absolutely. Because look at the case that we're kind of experiencing in the past three, four days. And, um, and I'm definitely not an expert in this, but it's kind of nice to see all of the kind of the, the tensions and kind of discuss them for what they are. But the case of Russia and Ukraine, right? Um, they are dynamically opposed to each other. One belongs to a NATO worldview. The other one belongs to kind of a, you know, I would say a failed Soviet worldview, right? Um, but they're at odds, right? And Ukraine and, 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 and uh, you know, those cities are at the center of it. And they're both using Bitcoin. So it's, it's just the, ama- you know, it's an amazing thing to me to where I don't think there's, you know, that, that, you know, uh, East versus West anymore. I think um, once these things settle down, and I hope people will come to their senses soon, right, uh, both sides. And once that happens, I think what we'll have is probably a, you know, they'll, they'll redraw some boundaries. They'll, you know, take some tariffs and, you know, th- this is my land, this is yours, maybe kind of uh, uh, a new barrier or, or Border, if you will, right? West Germany, East Germany, kind of, kind of ordeal. Um, but I don't think that's going to be lasting, and I think that's very physical and that's very flawed, and that's very funny because people will be existing in online, right? And I think identities will be online, and I think money will be online, and the idea of borders will kind of be laughable at some point, and and kind of these are just 
you know, the old dinosaurs kind of, kind of, you know, finding ways to, to spend more um, in terms of their, their military. Um, but I don't think this is a genuine war that, that the people want. And I think this is probably, I would argue, created by the expansion of NATO. Um, but, but we'll see. And I think whatever happens, Bitcoin wins. And I think that's the amazing part of the story. In your presentation, you've said that Satoshi is Ethiopian. What were you trying to convey with this statement? So uh, uh, I understand he's probably not, <laughs> right? But <laughs> when you know we look at the history of how Finney and, and kind of how it came about, you can probably you know say um, it, it wasn't uh, he wasn't Ethiopian or he wasn't African, right? But I, I you know if I'm in the position of teaching, I want to teach little kids that you know. That's why Satoshi was created, so they can kind of immerse themselves in the kind of open source uh, ethos and and do things on behalf of a community, right? And and do things, you know, as you've been talking about, um, for the betterment of the world, right? And um, and it's very rare that we find ourselves in positions where we can do that uh, because you know I think the your your happiness and your whatever starts to plateau at a certain amount of you know. Uh, food and resources and money, right? And and after that, you kind of have to you know think deeply about okay, what do I want to do with my life, right? What 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 do I want to accomplish and X, Y, and Z? And if we have the ethos of you know uh, the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and and the Buffets and the Mungers, uh, the accumulation, I just don't think it's uh, I think it's played out, right? It was last century. We tried it. It's cool. Capitalism, love it, but I think now we're onto a newer level, a higher level. Um, we can give it whatever name we want, but I think Bitcoin creates that new reality, and uh, and it's just going to be interesting to see. So I guess I'd argue that if Satoshi is Ethiopian, then Bitcoin is a BB Bikila. Yes, yes, running barefoot through the streets of Japan and uh, highly uh, sovereign, strong. Uh, memorable. I mean, he, he embodies all of the great. So this is a historic day um, because it's uh, Adoa for uh, Ethiopians. Uh, Adoa is the day of our, uh, uh, not independence, but the day that we uh, fought off the Italians uh, in the late uh, uh, 1800s. And so um, it wasn't the only time they tried to invade us. Um, there was also a period uh, from 35 to 40 where our emperor was in exile. Um, because of the failed uh, efforts of uh, League of Nations and collective security. And, and that's why, you know, uh, that we have a very tough relationship with institutions because we saw uh, that, you know, uh, the moment Poland fell, nobody stood up for Poland, right? The, the moment um, Ethiopia fell, nobody stood up for Ethiopia, right? And, and why are some countries more important than others is, is a thing I, you know, I, I can never comprehend. But we've seen through Ethiopia's history that Ababa Bikila and um, you know, all of our, I guess, runners and athletes are a great testament to our, our history and our, um, our pride. My last question for you is, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is, um, you know, I've uh, shaken hundreds of hands <laughs> these past few weeks, and I kind of feel like a little mini politician, right? Because I'm like, advocating Bitcoin. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a funny position I find myself in because like I'm a private sector guy, right? Like I, I, I've worked for advisory all, all my life. And, and now I see myself interacting with like a lot of young people, a lot of people in their 20s, um, a lot of people in their teens, and they are really passionate about Ethiopia. 
and about Bitcoin and they um, know how to code, right? They understand the, the language. Um, they understand why sovereignty is important and they're very eager um, for what this new world looks like where they have equal access to value in the world. So that gives me um, a lot of hope. Because they are Satoshi. Because they are Satoshi. It all, it all comes back to Satoshi. Perfect. Well, please tell the listeners where they can find you and your, your initiatives. Sure. So um, I'm currently working as uh, head of business development for Hoseki, uh, Hoseki.app. And we're looking to you know, empower the world with, with Bitcoin, right? And um, we're, we're testing a few products. And I, I think we have kind of a good way to um, you know, place Bitcoin in, in a lot of communities. Um, and, and so they can find me at Hoseki. They can find me at Twitter, um, bitcoinbird.org. That's where I do a lot of the open source education. Um, and I think this weekend, um, I'll be giving a TEDx talk with uh, Addis Katama and, and some um, uh, land bank development corporation. It's a government office. And it looks like they will be taking Bitcoin. So I've, I've, I've uh, promised them 2.5 Bitcoin. Um, I think I found some funding to, to kind of, you know, finagle. And so as long as they're willing to take custody um, and hold a wallet, um, they will be the, the owners of 2.5 Bitcoin. So that's going to be um, something I'll be sharing uh, on Twitter. And so everybody can, can follow the conversation there. Fantastic. Well, any final thoughts? So happy to have you here on the podcast. Any final thoughts? Thank you, Mark. Um, final thoughts, just, you know, thank you for, for what you do. Um, I, you know, uh, really love the title and the format of the show. And I really enjoyed um, a lot of the guests that I've kind of listened and, and learned about on your platform. I mean, I think it's really important to have um, opposing worldviews come to some sort of concession. And I think uh, uh, even um, worldviews or, or opposition, I think, might not exist in, in, in kind of, uh, you know, newer worlds that, that we can potentially, you know, obtain with, with true value. So I think it's really important to kind of uh, define new worlds for ourselves and new mindsets and not be bogged down by the kind of the traditional patterns. So I'm really glad your uh, podcast exists. Very much appreciate that. Thank you so much. Again, Cal, thank you for your time. I wish you all the best and let's stay in touch. Thank you, Mark. Have a good day.